we doing this morning? Hey! Someone's like, wasn't he just back there playing the guitar? Yeah. It's the Michael Rapp show today. Uh, how you guys all doing? Good? So, most of you know that uh, George and more than half of our team are in Africa right now. I think we got a photo of them. There they are. They're in Sierra Leone um, working on our global uh, blessing plan, which is really cool. I'm excited to hear about their trip. They get back, um, I think, it's either Monday. Monday, yeah. So get back Monday. I'm in charge till Monday. So anything you guys want to do, just let me know. Uh, no, but before George left, he was, he was like, hey, he's like, I got, I got Courtney to preach the first week I'm gone. How many of you guys uh, like Courtney's message last week? Yeah. Wasn't he awesome? I just, whenever he gets to come, I love it. I love Courtney so much. And he goes, yeah, and I was kind of hoping maybe you could teach the next week. And I go, sounds great. And he goes, good. You're kicking off our series on giving. And I was like, oh, great. Because everyone loves talking about money, right? It's like everyone's favorite topic. But, you know, I was thinking about it, and... It really is, it's really important because I get to roll out, we're at Whitewater, we have this new uh, initiative that we're starting, it's this, we're going to have a giant financial campaign for it, but we really think it's super important. We're launching a mobile ministry center, um, it's great, we got a really good deal on it, don't worry, we got a good deal on it, uh, that was, for those of you that didn't laugh, that was a joke. It can, it, can, it can be a little too close to home, so I felt like I really needed to clarify. That was a joke. That was a joke. Uh, no, but really, we, we do not like talking about money. Talking about money is like talking about politics at a family reunion. You just don't do it, right? When I was studying, though, I, I came across something interesting. This is interesting to me. The Bible has 490 verses that deal directly with faith. They have 500 or more that deal with prayer. And 2,000 that deal with money. That's 280 in the Gospels alone. That's one in every 10 verses. The Bible contains more verses on money than faith and prayer combined. And yet we hate talking about it. Be honest, how many of you, when you figured out we were talking about money, were like, if I fake going to the bathroom, I can run out the side door? There's at least one of you, I know, I know. Uh, no, it, it, it's awkward, but why does, why, does, why does the Bible talk so much about money? I want to get philosophical for just a minute. I'm going to get really heady. I promise I'll come back down. But just go here with me because I think this is interesting. How many of you know there's a difference between happiness and pleasure? The difference between happiness and pleasure, right? The, in, on a medical level, on just like a scientific medical level, happiness deals with serotonin levels and uh, pleasure deals with endorphins. It's a fully different chemical reaction that's happening in, in our body. Uh, happiness deals with contentment, but we live in a capitalistic culture, and you don't make any money off of contentment. You make money off of discontent, right? So in our culture, we have redefined happiness to mean pleasure, something we always need more of. If I was only able to get that raise, if I was only able to get this job, if I could just afford this car, if I could have a bigger house, if we could go on that vacation, right? It's something we always need more of. It's not happiness. It's pleasure, Money is so interconnected to our idea of happiness. And I would argue that our society almost preaches happiness as the very meaning of life, right? Like the pursuit of happiness is everything. And yet, most of us, 80% of Americans to be exact, are in debt, we're unhappy, and we're stressed out when it comes to money. I think the reason Jesus talks so much about money is because in so many ways, it owns us, right? Right? Um, 
we have a God who loves us so much, he wants our whole hearts, and the gospel challenges each of us in a, in a unique way. And I want to point that out because there might be some of us in the room that talking about money is not that uncomfortable for us. But you start talking about meeting your neighbors and building community, and you're like, you know, I think I'd rather just write a check and let you guys do that, right? And then some of us are like, now I'll have a barbecue, we'll have people over, it'll be great, but don't talk to me about my money, right? The gospel challenges all of us in a unique way. So I want to invite you, and we're going to be learning about the, uh, the rich young ruler this morning. And if money is one of these topics that just goes, and you start looking at the exits, and it feels like a challenge, don't run, don't shut down, lean into it. And see what God has to say to us this morning. Courtney talked last week about listening to God. And this is an opportunity. I think we all have something that we can learn here this morning. So no further ado, let's jump in to the story of the rich young ruler. It shows up in Luke, uh, Matthew, and Mark in three of the Gospels. But we're going to jump into it from Mark. So I'm going to go ahead. Mark 10, 17 is where we're starting. It'll be on the screen. You can also pull it up in your Bibles or your smartphones. Um, and I'm just going to read the whole thing, and then we'll start picking it apart. Does that sound, does that sound good? Yeah. Okay. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder You must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must not cheat anyone, honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all of these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all of your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell And he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around at his disciples and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them. But Jesus said again, Dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astonished. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. So that's our story. Let's, let's dig in a little bit. The first thing that I always wonder about this guy is what are his motives, right? Like he could be earnest. He could be genuine and really wanting to know. He could be kind of a rule follower and he just wants to know which box he needs to check to make sure that he's kind of doing the right thing. Or he could be trying to show off, right? You know, hey, Jesus, what, God, what do I have to do to be good? Oh, I've, I've done all those things, you know? And either way, Jesus calls out his blind spot. What is the man's blind spot? Is it that he's rich? Is that the problem, the problem that he has riches? I think, and this is on your notes if you want, if you're following along in the notes, I think the problem wasn't that the man possessed riches, but that his riches possessed him. The the problem wasn't that the man possessed riches, but that his riches possessed him. And I love this. In verse 21, I love that right before Jesus kind of gives him a correction or a challenge, he says, says, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. I think it's in uh, Luke, it's either Luke or the other one, where it actually the translation says, Jesus looked at him and he loved him. 
And how many of you know that when you love someone, you challenge someone at times? Like we have this idea of love in our culture that's just like make everyone feel loved and then just let them do whatever they want and don't ever correct or challenge anyone. And how many of you know that's not really love? Like if you care about someone, if you care about your kid, you're not going to let them run in the street, right? If you love someone, you give correction. And Jesus wants what's best for this man. He wants this man to be free. In Luke 4.18, uh, Jesus is saying this about himself. He's actually quoting an older scripture, but he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed. Generosity frees us from the captivity of money. Uh, captivity comes in all shapes and sizes, right? You, you want to I, I, know what I really think would, would be hell? Would be God giving us exactly what we want. It's heavy, right? Like how many of you know that we chase after things that we think we want, but they ultimately rip us off? That's our culture. Look on Instagram, look on Facebook. Everyone is chasing this idea of a life that they think they want. That's, but, but, in, but we're the most isolated, we're the most divided, and we're the most anxious we've ever been. Like our culture is a mess, and yet we're chasing these things. And I think it looks different in different, gen- different generations. I could be off on this, but I think, I think my parents' generation, the big temptation was materialism, right? Like we want a big house, we want a boat, we want a, we want a big TV, a Hummer. Who remembers Hummers? <laughs> Remember Hummers? Remember when I was like, cool, if you had a Hummer, man, what a weird car. If you have a Hummer, I'm sorry, your car's really cool. Uh, it's just funny, you look back, right? I think my generation, it looks different. It's the same thing, but it looks different. In my generation, we want experiences. We're not so concerned with stuff. We want to travel. We want to see the world. We want to explore. We want to hike and do all this kind of stuff. None of which is bad, but it's, it's the same thing wrapped differently. It ultimately leaves us isolated, anxious, and divided. Um, God loves us so much Enough that he accepts us as we are, but doesn't leave us there. He wants our best. Giving makes us better people. This is a quote uh, my grandpa shared with me that I love from this author, Daniel Taylor. He says, giving people offer friendship easily. They are open-handed not only with their money, but also with their emotions. They are quick to encourage and console. They take genuine delight in the good fortune of others. Givers have a certain openness about them. They're not aggressively competitive they generally laugh a lot and have very little self-pity. How many of you know that's true? Like when you think of the person in your life that's generous, you're like, that's true. They are. Generosity makes us better people. So how do we practice, how do we practice generosity? God gives us a tool to start practicing generosity, and it's called tithing. And tithing is this Old Testament practice of, that God's people used where they would give 10% of their income, of their crops, whatever they brought in, and they would give it back to God through the local church. Um, there are some people, if you're, like a, if you're a, a theologian, you understand some of the theology of the Bible, they'll argue that that was Old Testament law, and that when Jesus showed up on the scene, he fulfilled the law. So as a Christian, we no longer, we no longer are expected to tithe or held to the tithe. Um, I used to think that way once. I had a book by a really obscure author no one's heard of that made all the points for me. Um, <laughs> And, uh, but but I, I, think too, I think, too, that this is similar to the rich young, young ruler. I think it's easy sometimes to hide behind our theology and miss the point of what God's trying to teach us. The rich young ruler's going, oh, yeah, the, you know, the Ten Commandments, I've done that since I was little. And God's like, 
you're missing the point. And you and I could have a theological debate around tithing, and I think we'd be missing the point. Jesus shows up in Matthew. So this is, Jesus is on the scene now, and this is what he says in Matthew 23, 23. He says, What sorrow awaits you teachers of the religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You tithe, yes, or you should tithe, yes, but, not, but do not neglect the more important things. So Jesus is not only affirming the tithe, but he's saying, it's not the standard, it's like the ground floor. It's not the point. The point is that we become generous people. Uh, my story with tithing, I want to talk, I'll tell you a little bit about my journey with tithing. Um, I remember growing up, money feeling tight at times. We weren't poor, we had, I always had what I needed, but I remember this feeling of money feeling tight uh, and money feels that way, I think, for most people. But when I started making my own money, I just remember thinking, like, I don't want to feel that way. Like, I want to have enough money that I can, like, buy coffee and, like, not check my bank account. Like, I want to just, like, I want to make sure I have enough money. And at the time I was working at this church, I was technically the youth worship guy. So I'd lead um, junior high youth group, and then I'd lead high school youth group, and then college youth group. And I got roped into doing the main services and the satellite campus and the kids' worship. And I was basically given gas money. And the pastor would preach these sermons on giving. He'd say, you know, we're supposed to give our time, our talent, and our treasure. And I'd go, well, I'm giving my time. I'm giving my talent. And I work at a coffee shop, and I have gas money from church. So God, God gets it. Like, I'll let someone else deal with the treasure piece. I'm doing the time. I'm doing the talent, right? But I was giving, and I would give money to things that I wanted to give money to. I was, I was supporting a kid in Africa through World Vision. I had us giving a little bit to a kid in Africa. I had a friend who had a nonprofit organization I was giving towards. So I was being generous but only when I wanted to and on my terms, which isn't really generosity. It's not really learning to be a generous person, right? And I think when I finally started giving, I was, had a conversation with George a while back, and, you know, and he really challenged me uh, on this, and, and I said, you know what? This is really about being obedient, right? And what I realized when I started tithing 10% was that this money it was about control for me. I wanted to be in control of my finances. I wanted to bring in the money. I wanted to decide where it went, And tithing was a process of me of letting go of that control and realizing God's ultimately in control. I'm not a self-made man. Everything I have, he's provided for me. Um, And it's made me a better, less anxious, more uh, joyful, peaceful, generous person. Um, That was kind of my, that was my struggle um, with that for a long time. And it's still a struggle, right? Like, my wife and I got in a fight two nights ago, or last, two nights ago, laying in bed over finances. It's it's tense. Like, money is stressful because it has such a hold on our hearts, I think. But it reminds us, tithing reminds us, it, uh, what does it say? Tithing has changed the way I look at the world. It reminds us of where our provision comes from, keeps us from the temptation that we're self-made people. George always said, everything we own is on loan. You've heard George say that? It's true. Everything we have is a gift from God. Our jobs, all that is a gift from the Lord. And, and tithing is this check for us that reminds us, oh yeah, I'm not in control. He is. Which is a good thing, because I suck at being in control. Um, <laughs> 2 Corinthians 9, 11 through 12 says this. It says, uh, You will be enriched in every way for all, gen- for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the, ministry of the sa- uh, sorry, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Tithe supports the local church. Like, our church is supported on tithe. We rent this building. We got to keep the lights on, the chairs you're sitting in, all that kind of stuff. And Jesus loves the church. 
all throughout the Bible, Jesus refers to the church as the bride of Christ. And there's a popular thinking, at least along, among many of my friends, which is, uh, I, have, I have a great relationship with God. God and I have this great relationship. We're close, but I really hate organized religion. I just can't stand the church. It's kind of like saying, hey, Michael, I love you, dude. You're so rad. I, just, I love our relationship. I hate your wife. I can't stand Kenny. We're not going to have a great relationship, right? It's true. And... Uh, and, and, and I, I get, too, that you know, the, the churches, churches is a, it's a messy place, and it's full of messy people. We're a hospital. We're not a talent show. Um, and George always says this, and this is true. If, if this is a church that you don't feel t- comfortable tithing to, find one that you do. We're more interested that you're tithing than that it's coming to us. Does that make sense? So that's important, I think. Uh, the church has, for thousands of years, been one of the most powerful forces of change in the world. People meeting Jesus... Lives being transformed, the community is blessed, and when you tithe to a church, you're actually investing and bringing about the kingdom of God on earth. And mobile ministry centers, right? (laughs) Those cars are crazy. You hit this button and an umbrella like shoots out of the side door. So dumb. So dumb. Again, this is a joke. I'm okay with joking. Ultimately, God doesn't need our money, right? He wants our hearts. God doesn't need our money. He wants our hearts. Uh, Gordon Ramsay is this financial planner guy. Um, he teaches financial peace. And he says this about tithing. I think it's great. He said, tithing was created for our benefit. Dave Ramsey. Thank you. Gordon's, Gordon's his brother that people don't talk about a lot. Equally as important. Dave Ramsey says tithing was created for our benefit. It teaches us how to keep God first in our lives and how to live unselfishly. Unselfish people make better spouses, friends, relatives, employees, and employers, and they usually have better finances. God is trying to teach us how to prosper over time. I think that's really good. This is in your notes. This is kind of my uh, thesis on tithe. It's long. I'm long-winded. Can you tell? Uh, If you want to follow along. I wrote, tithing is a practice that protects us against the temptation of entitlement and the lie that we are self-made people. It's a practice that reminds us that God is in control, not us, that he is our provider, that everything we own is really on loan, and it trains us to see the world through kingdom eyes, which in turn lead us to thankfulness and praise to God. Kind of my thesis. So how do you start? You start, right? I, uh, I just started going to the gym a month ago, This might not sound impressive to many of you. I'm 30. This was my first time in a gym ever. I hate them. I feel so uncomfortable in gyms. Nobody's wearing skinny jeans. I don't know what to do. It's it's so weird. It's a place, right? It's a place full of people that are in like shorts and tank tops and sweating and being like really physical and yet nobody wants to like acknowledge that anyone else is there and you hope nobody acknowledges you. It's just weird. And uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to Planet Fitness. It's like right over here on River Road. And they have like the purple machines. And their whole thing is like no judgment zone, right? It's like, the, it's like, it's like working out for people who aren't in shape. Like that's what it's for. So I fit in great. Uh, they have like pizza night and like donut night. But what, I, what I think is really funny is it's, it's super funny to me. So you'll, you'll, get, you'll get in trouble if you wear too short of shorts. 
or if you bring in like a, like a gallon jug of water because you don't want someone coming in looking all like tough, they have a grunt alarm. So if you grunt too loud or you like drop your weights really loud, they set off an alarm and they come super judgy, right? No judgment zone. No, they just judge the people that they want to judge. It's, it's uh, I see what they did there. Anyways, I fit in great. Um, I just what here's what I do. I pop my, my ear pods in and I listen to the This American Life podcast and I run the treadmill for 15 minutes and I leave. <laughs> It's better than nothing, right? It's more than I've done in 30 years. It's better than nothing. Uh, starting somewhere, right? It's starting somewhere. And uh, we, some of you might know there's an author and a pastor named Rick Warren. He wrote the book Purpose Driven Life. He has a huge church um, down in California. Well, they're actually all over now. But when he planted his church, he decided, him and his wife decided they were going to tithe 10%. And then every year they were going to up their tithing a little bit percentage-wise to help it keep becoming a sacrifice for them. And after being there for 30 years, uh, he wrote the book Purpose Driven Life. It became the number, or, sorry, second best-selling book behind the Bible in all time. It's crazy. He made a buttload of money. He paid the church back Every penny they'd paid him for the 30 years he'd worked there. He now lives off of 10% of his income. He drives the same car. He lives in the same house. And they've also now planted, I think they have a church in every continent on the globe. And they're going after every tribe and every tongue. They're just like, we're going to do this. It's crazy. But he gets criticized a lot by people when he tells his story. They say, well, yeah, you know, if I had millions of dollars, I'd do that too. And he says, no, you wouldn't because you're not now. It's heavy. Just got to start. You got to start somewhere, right? So I, I kind of want to end with this. I think there's this, the my favorite part about this whole story is some is not usually talked about. But Jesus is he's, he says he sees this man and he loved him, right? So he's challenging this rich young ruler, and in a lot of ways he's challenging us as the reader, right? But the very first sentence says this. Check this out. It says as Jesus was ta- uh, started out on his way. Sorry. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, there's a key there, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is good. What's Jesus getting at? He's attacking the idea that you can be good enough, right? That there's a way to be good enough. That if you follow the right rules, if you do the Ten Commandments perfect, or you tie a certain amount, that you're good enough. He's undercutting that right at the beginning. So then he goes and he challenges this guy and he walks away sad, right? And then Jesus looks around at his disciples. He says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them. But Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Weird picture, right? Camel going through a needle. It's impossible. I think Jesus is more likely talking about something different. He said they're on their way to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, in the evenings and on the Sabbath, they would shut the doors to the city to stop commerce from happening. And there was one gate called the Eye of the Needle that was left open. And a camel could fit through the Eye of the Needle, but it would have to take off all of its saddlebags and all of the merchandise that it was carrying. Isn't that interesting? It's kind of a fun fact I discovered when I was studying this. I was like, I never knew that. This is so cool. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But not with God. Everything is possible with God. And I think it's no coincidence that two verses later, Jesus says, 
Listen, he said, we are going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and teachers of the religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip and kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. So right in the middle of Jesus having this discussion, challenging this guy about money and stuff, he's on his way to give the ultimate gift of generosity, his life. As the ultimate radical sacrifice that makes it possible for you and I to have eternal life. Not because of how good we are, not because of how much we tithe, not because of how good we do, but because of his radical sacrifice and death on the cross that we might know life. Isn't that awesome? That Jesus, he's challenging us. He loves us enough to challenge us. But the whole story is wrapped in the gospel, the front and the back, in grace. I just think that's awesome. And Jesus invites us into a life of sacrifice that we might experience the true beauty and richness of life. I want to end with this challenge. I, I teach short. George goes long, short. Ted talks, Ted, Ted talks with Michael. That's, that's the thing. I want to end with this. I'm the rich young ruler, right? You're the rich young ruler. We're the rich young, 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 young rulers. This story is really about us. And not only that, but I think that we really live in the rich young country. If you make over $50,000 a year, you make more money than 99% of the world, which is crazy. May we not be the rich young church. So my challenge is this. I cry at everything. I blame, I blame it on my daughter, but I, it's not her fault. I, I cried before she was born. It's weird. And they're not even sad things. It just happens. I don't know. This is my challenge. Start somewhere. Start somewhere, right? Um, and, you know, tithing is this thing. I had a whole section on this, but I like to keep things short. Tithing is this thing in the Bible. God's, the one thing God says, test me in. And there's lots of these verses that talk about, you know, if you, much is given... You know, much will be given in return. And people have twisted that into, into um, like health and wealth type of preaching where, oh, if you just give money, you'll get a sports car. And like, that's not how that works. But there is a principle that if we're faithful with little, God gives us more and God blesses us. And that can be financial or that can just be for, through freeing us from the hold that money has on us or helping us to see the beauty in life that we not seem because we're caught up in money, right? So I want to challenge you, like start somewhere. We're all on a journey um, if, it's not, if it's not 10%, start with something. And if, and if you're given something and you're not, you're not doing 10%, try 10%. You know, and like, and like Rick Warren, who decided every year to up tithing a little bit. If you're, the, if you're the Christian, sometimes I fall into this, where tithing's this thing, you know, you do it, but you just kind of check the box, right? It's like, yep, I did it. It was like an auto. It came out of my bank account, whatever. Then maybe it's time to start making it be a sacrifice, and to really challenge, so that we're, so God's challenging and teaching us. That's my challenge for us. I promise you, it'll change your heart, it'll change your life, and it'll change the world around you. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Lord, we love you so much. God, I just thank you so much that you gave the ultimate sacrifice. Where we, you know, you know our hearts, you know our struggles, you know our fears and our anxieties, God. And you say you always provide for us. You... You know that where we fail, God, you were perfect. And you gave your life so that we could know you, so that we could have life. And you want what's best for us. I pray, God, that you'd help our hearts to grow. You'd help us to become more open, more generous people. That you'd teach us the beauty of sacrifice, that we would see your kingdom come around us. Um, God, and I just pray that you would bless our church. In Jesus' name, amen.